Begging is seldom viewed as an honorable activity. In fact, there are actually laws against it. Many communities have ordinances against panhandling and try to keep haves and have-nots apart. And they did so long before COVID-19 made social distancing the norm. No one likes to be confronted on the street by someone with their hand out or even drive by someone with a cardboard sign at an intersection. But there are times when begging is justified. And when it's apparent someone is not able to care for themselves and they have fallen between the cracks of social services, most of us are willing to help meet their need. But even then, begging doesn't seem like an honorable thing to do. And sadly, some are hesitant to even let a need be known for fear of it being viewed as begging. And we've all been made aware that the forced closing of businesses has put many in dire financial straits. But I've not been made aware of any overwhelming needs in our church. I, I hope that is indeed the case. But if not, please let me know. I've had offers from individuals desiring to help. And of course, we'll do whatever we can collectively as a church family for brothers and sisters who are in need. You know, giving family members the opportunity to help each other is not begging. It's Christian fellowship. But even desperate begging can be done honorably as we discover in our text for today. We pick up the narrative in Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise, he is calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Immediately preceding this account, Mark has painted a picture of the less than honorable request of James and John to be given the seats of honor in Christ's kingdom. It would appear that Mark has purposefully placed these two accounts together. Both of them focused on a request made to Jesus, and both record Jesus responding by asking, what do you want me to do for you? The difference, however, has to do with honor. James and John came seeking it, and Bartimaeus came exemplifying it. In fact, his name means son of honor. And Mark wants us to notice that fact, even though we're bound to miss it. This account is recorded 
in all four Gospels. And actually, according to Matthew, there were two blind beggars on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And Luke adds to the confusion by saying this encounter took place as Jesus was approaching Jericho, where the others say he was going out from Jericho. The apparent contradiction is resolved when we realize there were actually two Jerichos. The old city that was nearly abandoned and a new city that had been recently built by Herod the Great. Jesus was apparently between the two cities of Jericho when two blind beggars heard that he was walking by. Mark then focuses our attention on only one of the beggars, the one named Bartimaeus. Now, as I mentioned, Bartimaeus means son of honor. And Mark does an unusual thing by giving us his name and then repeating it by calling him the son of Timaeus. Bar means son of. So he's really saying the same thing twice. I think he wants us to notice something. This beggar is not only named son of honor, he actually is the son of honor. And his approach to Jesus, as well as his response to Jesus, is honorable indeed. Let's take a closer look at what he did, beginning with the fact that he begged Jesus for mercy. Bartimaeus recognized his need, and he recognized the one who could meet his need. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, who was walking by, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The fact that he recognized Jesus as the son of David is in itself remarkable. Obviously, being blind, he had never seen Jesus perform a miracle. He had probably never before been in the presence of Jesus, but he had heard about him. He had heard of his teaching and his miracles, and his compassion. And he had discerned that this Jesus was the Messiah of promise, the son of David, who was to come and establish the Messianic kingdom. No doubt he shared the popular misconceptions about the kingdom, assuming it to be a resurrection of ancient Israel to worldwide prominence and the overthrow of Rome, but he at least recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And he is the only one Mark records calling Jesus the son of David. Matthew does introduce his gospel by referring to Jesus as the son of David and records two other blind men appealing to him as such early in his ministry. And even though Mark doesn't mention it, Matthew tells us the Syrophoenician woman who asked for crumbs from the children's table also appealed to Jesus as the son of David. He also tells us the multitude that witnessed the healing of the demon-possessed man who was both blind and dumb wondered if Jesus could be the son of David and that the multitudes that praised him on Palm Sunday hailed him as the son of David. But that's about all who recognized Jesus as such, Mark seems to be emphasizing the fact that Bartimaeus did recognize Jesus as the son of David when he begged him for mercy. And there is nothing wrong with begging the Messiah for mercy. That's what he came for, to save us, 
to heal us, to restore us. In fact, it's an honorable thing to beg the Messiah for mercy. By doing so, you recognize your need and the fact that he is the one who can meet your need. It's pride that would keep us from recognizing our need for a Savior. And pride is certainly not an honorable thing. Bartimaeus wasn't too proud to beg for mercy, and he couldn't be dissuaded. When it says he began to cry out, the tense indicates this was something he didn't just do once. He kept crying out, so much so that others in the crowd began telling him to be quiet, sternly telling him to be quiet. But he wouldn't be quieted. In fact, the more they said, be quiet, the more he cried out. No one could dissuade him from crying out to the only one who could meet his need. It may not have seemed polite or mannerly to cry out for mercy, and his cries may have offended some. But he wasn't trying to be obnoxious, and he wasn't demanding anything. He was simply crying out for mercy. And as long as the one to whom he was crying out didn't say, be quiet, he would keep crying out. Eventually, over the din of the crowd, Jesus did hear his cry and responded by saying, call him here. Immediately, the crowd changed their tune. When they had been trying to silence him, now they said, take courage. He's calling for you. But surely it didn't take their encouragement to respond to Jesus' invitation to come. That's what he had been begging for. All he needed was permission from Jesus to come. He didn't need the crowd telling him what to do either way. You know, if you're going to beg Jesus for mercy, don't let anyone dissuade you. And don't wait for the crowd to tell you when to respond. Honorable thing is to respond immediately to the call of Christ. That's what Bartimaeus did. And in doing so, he demonstrated his faith. When he heard that Jesus was calling for him, Bartimaeus cast aside his cloak, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Casting aside his cloak was more significant than it might at first seem. His cloak was the most important piece of property he owned. He wasn't like some today who carry will work for food signs and at the end of the day drive off and head home. He was a legitimate beggar who had nothing. A blind beggar who was totally at the mercy of strangers traveling along the road. His cloak was his protection from the elements and his comfort at night. It was probably all he had to keep himself safe and warm. But he threw it aside when Jesus said, come. He had complete confidence in the son of David. He didn't say, well, just a minute. As soon as I gather my belongings, I'll be there. He left everything and ran to Jesus in a dramatic demonstration of faith. He gave no thought for tomorrow, what he would wear or how he would survive the night. He trusted that Jesus would meet his needs and jumped up 
a very reckless thing for a blind man to do. Mark simply says he came to Jesus. Luke says Jesus commanded that he be brought to him, but apparently he didn't wait for help. Luke does go on to say when he had come near, not when he had been brought near, and Mark gives no indication that anyone helped him find his way to Jesus. He ignored the possible obstacles in his way and the unknown dangers that lay in his path and just came to Jesus. He was confident that if Jesus said, come, and he'd respond in faith, Jesus would make sure he'd arrive safely and that Jesus would meet his needs. That's the honorable response. The response that honors the one making the call. If Jesus says, come, to hesitate or to respond cautiously, not trusting in his guidance or provision, is to dishonor him. Bartimaeus honored Jesus by coming in faith and by seeking the right thing when he got to Jesus. When Jesus asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? They responded, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. Jesus had to decline their request. They weren't seeking the right thing. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. He was blind and he knew it. James and John were blind, but didn't know it. Jesus had just told them they were going up to Jerusalem and that the Son of Man would be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and that they would condemn him to death and would deliver him to the Gentiles who would mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, but that three days later he would rise again. They heard it, but they didn't see it. They didn't understand it. And they didn't ask to have their eyes opened. They didn't want to see the truth. They were like C.S. Lewis, before becoming a Christian, willfully blind. In The Question of God, a book that contrasts the beliefs and lives of C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud, the author tells of Lewis's conversion. Lewis writes that he began to feel his adversity, the one he wanted desperately not to exist, closing in on him. He felt hounded. Most of the great writers he admired and many of his closest friends were believers. The fox had been dislodged and was now running in the open, bedraggled and weary, hound barely a field behind and everyone was now, one way or another, in the pack. Lewis wondered if they might be right. He realized he could use his will to open the door or keep it shut. He then made one of the most fateful decisions of his life. Lewis decided to open his mind and examine the evidence. I was going up Headington Hill on top of a bus, I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out. I could open the door or keep it shut. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it was strangely unemotional. 
I chose to open. I felt as if I were a man made of snow at long last beginning to melt. When he made that decision, he began to feel the presence of him whom he had desperately wanted not to meet. Finally, Lewis surrendered. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted for a second from my work the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. C.S. Lewis didn't want to accept the truth because he knew it would change everything. It would change him. He finally said, in effect, the same thing both Bartimaeus and the second blind man, Matthew, mentioned, said, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. There's no more honorable thing to ask of Jesus. Lord, open my eyes. Help me see. Help me understand. That's the one request Jesus will always grant if we ask it sincerely, like a blind man longing to see. Bartimaeus sought the right thing, and then he chose to follow Jesus. After telling Jesus he wanted to regain his sight, Jesus told Bartimaeus, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he regained his sight. I find it very interesting that Jesus said, go your way. He didn't say, now, if I do this for you, what will you do for me? He didn't say, if I open your eyes, will you keep them focused on me and follow me throughout life? He basically said, your faith has made you well, and you are free to do whatever you wish with the gift I have given you. Bartimaeus could have said thanks and gone home to see those he hadn't seen for years. He could have said, it's about time. I didn't deserve to be blind in the first place. Now I can get back to the life that was unfairly taken from me. He was free to do whatever he wanted with the gift Jesus gave him. But he chose to do the honorable thing. He began following him on the road. He was grateful for the gift that had been given to him. And he expressed his gratitude by following Jesus. That's the response Jesus would love to see from us. When we come to him begging for mercy and he grants it unconditionally as a gift, he hopes that gift will change our life and draw us into relationship with him. If it doesn't, we may gain some 
temporary joy from his gift. But we will not know the eternal joy of a relationship with him. And that's what he really wants for us. But that's a choice we must make. He doesn't force us to follow him. He gives freely to all who ask of him, but he longs for a response to his gift that honors the price he paid to be able to offer us eternal life. I pray that we, like Bartimaeus, would ask for our eyes to be opened and that we, like him, would choose to follow Jesus, that like him, we would all become honorable beggars. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as beggars in need. We're in need of your mercy. We're in need of your grace. We're in need of the strength you offer to us and we come begging for your help. Life is, is hard. You know that. The struggles we face are real. And there are times that we, we withdraw from each other and pretend that everything's fine when it's not. Father, help us to be courageous and honest enough to admit it when we need help. Let us let us involve our brothers and sisters in our life in the bad things as well as the good things. Help us to come before you and before the church and before each other with our needs. And help us to come honorably, understanding who you are and trusting your provision, confident that you will meet our needs. And that as we receive the gift, we will honor you by the life that we live, by the joy that we share, and by the needs of others we will meet as well. Father, may we, may we never be ashamed to beg for mercy in your presence because you are a God of mercy and a God of love. Let us be that kind of church as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.